0: the very rules of evil, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is how can change the world okay. okay. state of things in of violence without object This is the typical violence of Violent, because what happens there uh, is a the murder of the, real, the vanishing point of reality.
1: Let's not have a misunderstanding
2: here. Welcome to Machine Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper Cherry. Before I introduce our guest today, I do want to mention I do have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash m u h h. If you're enjoying the content. Throw us a, consider throwing us a dollar a month. Also, um, I'm going to start streaming, and I do have a Twitch channel at uh, twitch.tv forward slash Machinic Unconscious HH. I fucked up by not using M-U-H-H for that one, but I can update that in two months, but I'm going to be streaming some old school Mario and Super Mario Kart and shit like that. So uh, I'll throw that link up in the show notes, and uh, I haven't decided what day of the week I'm going to be doing that, but that's uh, something that'll be uh, become a thing at least once a week. But I'm very excited. We're doing another uh, Super Quatario Brothers episode. Uh, this is Part 5, we're going to be looking at primarily chapters 3 and 7 of of The Machinic Unconscious. My most machinic friends joining us, we've got Taylor Atkins of Theory Talk and also the man that translated this work for us. So welcome back into the assemblage there, Taylor. We have uh, Alfonso Williams as well, who's been hopping in on the last, what, like maybe two episodes we've done, Alfonso?
3: Yeah, thanks for
2: so. And then we've got um, Mr. D.C., the pseudo the suedo (laughs) and now analyst welcome back gentlemen
1: thanks good to be here yeah we've recorded recorded a a few
2: b-sides but uh it's good to have dc back
0: in the mix for this one yeah
2: it's great it's great
1: i'm glad to be back hell yeah have a fun conversation
0: and, and thanks for uh, looking back at chapter three, guys. I don't know how your notes are uh, are organized, if whether or not you want to start with chapter three or if you want to jump around. I thought we'd warm up with some of these
2: Twitter questions that we got yesterday. And some of these questions I think may at least get us rolling and started. Um, not all of them are like specific to Machinic Unconscious, but some of them I think will be relevant. Um, and... Taylor, you answered this question on Twitter, but I do think it is a good one, and I can't remember how much you've talked about this on, on prior episodes, but how do you rec- recommend reading Machinic Unconscious alongside
0: A Thousand Plateaus? We've talked about it some. Yeah. I mean, I'll just jump in and throw my two cents. Like we've, we've talked about it a little bit because uh, at least two of the chapters are kind of no-brainers. You know, When we did the refrain chapter, obviously we correlated it with the refrain plateau. When we did the facial uh the faciality chapter same thing we did that a little bit in, i think the first episode even because that was mainly though on chapter one and two we we had meant to cover three but obviously three is is, is very very dense so in one and two we kind of linked it since it's this it's both a linguistic it's a it's a diatribe a kind of critique of linguistics and psychoanalysis and their kind of conjunction in the 20th century so you could obviously read the second plateau, one of several wolves. I don't think we really talked about that, but you could do that. You could bring that in. Obviously, the regimes of signs plateau, along with the oh god, what's it called? The postulates of linguistics uh plateau. You could read those together because that's obviously that would correspond. Um, the geology of morals, you kinda that that's kind of the whole first half of the machinery unconscious because Guattari is already seemingly assuming you're familiar with his, uh, like his use of Helmslev, for example, in terms of stratification and content right. expression. Although at the same time, that, that plateau is way, way more, uh, in terms of the jargon it develops, in terms of the conceptual stuff, it's it's much, much more nuanced. I think Guattari's either scaled back some of that in this book or maybe later. Because this book comes first before A Thousand Plateaus, maybe with Deleuze, they added on some some d- definitions. The last thing I would say is, um, you know, you could read part two, the Proust part, with the three novellas, Plateau, I think, because that's obviously the one most explicitly on on literature. Although, you know, for Deleuze and Guattari, you don't really separate literature out from politics from even from it just desire in general right so that kind of flows throughout all the different kind of makes all those different demarcations a little fuzzy but the last thing i would say is chapter six the one about the schizo about schizoanalysis you know again that could correspond more or less throughout the whole that's a guiding thread throughout the whole of a thousand plateaus you know for us i I, i kind of referred not directly but indirectly to the last chapter of Anti Oedipus, which I think needs to be read in conjunction with chapter six on schizoanalysis, because it's precisely that's gonna be the meat and bones of of any uh, that's gonna be the starting point and the main body, you know, that's gonna be the, the the main text you want to look at if you were to specifically uh, talk about what schizoanalysis is. So that's just like roughly, but that's 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 kind of an in general like here's here how here how here's what text to pair up together. Yeah. Um and that's only a very surface level thing, but I guess that's where I would I would start with. Do you y'all have anything to add to that? I mean, I don't know. I don't, but <laughs> if
2: anyone's uh, well, not really.
3: I mean, I would just uh, just factor in that machine consciousness just published in between anti and a thousand platos. So right. and, and this is also I think Walter's first official solo publication, I um, believe, right. No. No,
0: no, no, it's not. But it's one of the
3: first. One of the first. Okay. Yep. And, and it's definitely, made...
0: it's definitely before. It's definitely when he's getting into this hyper uh, interesting stuff. I mean, his earlier stuff, you know, like in psychoanalysis and transversality, it seems much more traditional. This, this is like, yeah. this is like full blown mad scientist watching. So <laughs> yeah. to a certain extent, you're right, Alfonso. Okay. So
3: it's, it's psychoanalysis and transversality well, that was published during his lifetime. Event, is what you're saying. I'd, gosh, I have to look
0: at when it was published. I thought it was sixty-eight, but I could 68. be wrong. Sixty-eight. Let
1: me grab okay. my though. notes right
3: there.
0: Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. I mean, it's but it's much oh. more traditional. Would you say DC that it's more traditional
1: kind of analysis? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, at some point, we'll have to go through this one because yeah. he, you know, it, it literally has like uh, some of his cases in it.
3: Yeah. It talks oh, about wow, that's cool.
1: That would be great. This, to seeing the schizophrenic and he helps him write his thoughts down. So that way he gets kind of anchored in signification. Gotcha. Which we see come back in uh, a thousand plateaus. This I love in a thousand plateaus, this whole idea that like, no, wait up guys, you guys got acceleration wrong from anti-Oedipus. We're not talking about just going crazy and, and uh, painting the walls with your poop uh, (laughs) and like shit (laughs) like that. We're talking like you have to keep language just enough so that you can continue to deterritorialize with that right. language as this little anchoring point. Uh, reterritorialization is always going to happen, but you use it to get you further down that process, further down that kind of uh, heart of darkness river, which right. is you know what he does in this case. He he helps this uh, schizo guy kind of organize himself. Just enough with language that way he can get past those Oedipal barriers that are causing him to have this schizo uh, defense against reality. So I don't know. Hey, I won't rant hey, too much.
2: Speaking of good. that, so speaking of that, I'm um, I just rewatched um, Black Swan the other day, the mm-hmm. Aronofsky uh, film.
1: That was a good one. Yeah.
2: And I I don't know that just kind of that case reminded me a bit because you know she's seeing she's having the the episodes like the of seeing herself like she's fantasizing like getting all these imaginary things creeping into her like reality right Mm -hmm. and that line is like getting increasingly like she's getting increasingly I don't know distressed or like these fantasies are becoming like overwhelming her so like the crescendo of the film is like she ends up stabbing herself thinking she's like killed her rival
0: Right. And she's like yeah. she
2: does this transcendent yeah. ballet performance of Swan Swan Lake, I believe, right? Or this is it the Swan Queen, Swan Queen
0: yeah. yeah. like that. Yeah. And I always uh my wife, she's like a she's a huge Aronofsky fan and nice. she's maybe watched just about everything he's done, but she always considered the wrestler to be like either the prequel or like the double of oh, yeah. that black swan and you know, mm. you can the just the just the way that Arlovski focuses on the brutality, on the like the the ballet yes. dancer's body, like their feet the masochism and, of it, and yeah. It. And so there's something too with the wrestler that tries to focus right. again on just the breakdown of the wrestler's body. There's something very visceral yeah. about it. But I will I will want to let Alfonso finish. I didn't <laughs> oh, mean yeah, to cut sorry. you off. By the way, no, it was, it's my fault. <laughs> no. It was my fault. You got no. cut off twice. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to throw it back to you, Alfonso. I, I, you were saying something about um, just it was published between, uh, in, in between the capitalism schizophrenia
3: volumes. Yeah, yeah. I just wasn't sure if, um, if psychoanalysis and transversality was uh, if he considered that that collection of, of, of texts in an official. Uh, gotcha. I see what you mean. of his yeah. ideas during his lifetime. Gotcha.
1: You know, it's really so. it's really not. It's it was published in seventy two. I think Deleuze wrote the introduction to it. But uh, Okay, okay. Yeah, it's a collection of his have you guys read it? Have you guys all read it? I
0: I've only I've it. only glanced through it and yeah. I know Coop Coop wanted to to do that uh, once we finish up with the Machine of Unconscious. And I think our group would I mean we got the group here. We oh, we yeah. kinda we've got the assemblage I
2: mean I so th- we can I say we just continue. I want to continue this just like provided all of you are still willing to continue of doing course. and just like go through all of his solo work and like, we can f- figure all of that out, you know, as, it, as we go. <laughs>
3: <it's
1: got laughs> so this one's some crazy one. stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, lines I of up, light, and... and
0: I haven't looked at that yet either. Um, I do think Chaosmosis is like, at some point we'll do it. I think before, That's maybe, a good one. before jumping into craziness like that or the cartographies, I, th- mm-hmm. I do think that, that going backwards to the you know, to the psychoanalysis of transversality, that's that would be a cool move. Yeah. Uh but also uh I, I mentioned this to you, Coop, uh three ecologies. That's something right. that we could knock yeah. out. Yeah. And, and maybe even one sitting, uh we could spend more time on it, obviously, if we wanted mm-hmm. to, but it could potentially be done in one sitting Yeah. Uh, because it's really an essay that kind of got glorified into a book. Not to it not was, to like No,
1: it is. It was supposed uh, to be part of uh schizoanalytic right. cartographies. Right, mm-hmm. I think hey, that's then, interesting. Yeah, it was either supposed to be part of Chaosmosis or whatever, or Schizoanalytic Cartographies. And the editor, his friend who was editing his works, was like, "No, you have to you have to calm down and stop writing these 600-page uh, <laughs> oh my <God>. volumes." <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, there is something nice, and
0: ex- it's it's really to me when people say like, "Where do I start?" I always say three ecologies. Um, yeah. You know, it's 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 kind of. It's it's pared down a little bit and it's not as, you know, again, I'm going to use the word not disparagingly, like jargon heavy. It's not just jargon heavy and it seems to forego some of the more conceptually isolated terms, you know, that yeah. you really, they, for the initiated, if you will. It's more exoteric instead of esoteric Definitely. to use like a logic of sense distinction. And I think in that sense, it is very accessible. And there's a lot of good stuff in the Machinic or the Guattari Reader, you know, that Janosko both translated some of the for and yeah. edited, and you can get a PDF of that. Uh, Alfonso, you may already have a copy of that, uh, but that's a that's a great. We could always pull, and a lot of those essays are, are maybe from around that time of psychoanalysis and transversality. At least some of them are, like okay. um, like the essay Machine and Structure. I mean, mm-hmm. that alo- that we could spend half or a full episode on that alone, and it's just it's just amazing. And uh, I'm hoping i'm hoping to just as a as a little side thing if i you know if i if i if i have the time and and just want to I'll, I'll consider it like play more or less i want to keep doing more of his seminars and hopefully put oh some yeah this would be
2: good too. Honestly. put some more of
0: those out there because yeah. you know with this last one that i translated the drive black hole i really thought that this is good because you know he he re elaborates Freud's you know, drives and their vicissitudes, the four aspects of drives, in his own language. And you know, I always thought like if you know, to take Freud seriously, you need to you need to know pressure, aim, source, object. You need to know yeah. what that means and et cetera. Otherwise you're just kind of, you know, you're
1: You're just retranslating yeah. another theory through Freudian language and which so many people do and it's not good, you know. Freud's yeah. not Uh, you know on the one hand i'm like the kind of guy it's like any thinker is compatible with any thinker Mm -hmm. because in the Guattarian sense you just take what you want and you smash it together and you see how it works and that's fun but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways people use freud that is on the one hand against freud's uh authorial intent and then it's Mm -hmm. also against what he didn't intend but what he created by accident and i just think that's strange you know it's like if we tried to use Guattari to justify some sort of top-down hierarchical, like pseudo-fascism or something. Yeah. It's like, well, that's, you could make the stretch. Like I yeah. have that he had some fascist tendencies, but like he says, everyone kind of does. That's part of mm-hmm. part of re-territorialization, but... Uh,
0: Everybody wants to be a fascist, right? Then. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is that, such
1: a clever little this is a nice, one-liner. It's a, yeah. it's,
0: a, it's a good little essay, too. I it mean, is. That, that's from Chaosophy. I mean, there's all kinds of yeah. stuff. We'll, we'll, uh, later, uh, Coop, or you know, when we're debriefing at the end, I'll I'll try to we can try to like curate just a short list of, of stuff and hopefully bring in some some essays uh too, not just focus on uh whole books in, in the in yeah. the chunks. But anyway, uh I guess we could move on to another question if you wanted to. Sure. Um let's I'm gonna skip that one. Let's see. Um, whatever you do, don't start
3: with skits cartography.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't do that. You'll <laughs> you'd be throwing the books at the wall.
1: That's and, nuts.
0: Or you'd fall in love with the diagrams and like go mad and go go crazy and become a mad scientist. Maybe that's what Guattari was trying to do with, with a the diagrams. So. Spread some of the mad scientist uh, memes out there.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> this question, and I don't think that they use the proper uh, terminology, but it was like the they were asking about the A signifying a-, a semiotic.
0: So yeah, so I guess so, uh, that was Varun. He's in a he's in a Discord. He's in a uh, Blue Ziguatry Discord um, thing. It's like I think it was called. I have to look up the, the exact name. It's like the Quarantine Collective, I believe. It's oh to yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know you're talking he's, about. It. Okay. He's a good guy. Yeah, and I, and my my response last night, kind of when I look at it, came off as a dick. Where I was like, well, the term a semiotic uh, sign is you know, that's not, it's a signifying, a grammatical, a subjective, uh, a semiotic would be uh, not, not, it's not a term that Guattari uses, but then I kind of softened my stance and said, it, it, you would say a sign a semiotic science particles. Cause for Guattari at that point, it's, it, it's no longer purely semiotic, right? It's that's precisely what science science particles in, implies, um, but it's still, that term, I think, provisionally, we we wouldn't say it. But other than that, the a signifying, the a subjective, the a grammatical, that the, that's that's where Quattri uh, hit with his new definitions. Where, where he'll want to, that's where semiotics would be on the side of you know sort of a that which has escaped from language or whatever Quattri would you know would define it. Um,
1: yeah, we. A signifying is like a force, a material force or like That's an intensity right. that is linked with a, with a gesture or a, a word or a phrase or something like that, but isn't representative. So like, right. Like fuck, you know, people make like Reddit tear oh, yeah. about like, Oh, people use fuck for everything. You can make a whole sentence with fuck. But right. uh, besides that kind of uh, you know low-level humor. It's like uh, your body has a, a, a Response to fuck when someone says it fuck. Yeah, you, right you, We're probably trained out of noticing it, but y- you notice it in dogs and children when uh, you cuss You almost <clears throat> feel like the body tenses up a little yeah physical chemical signals shoot off So that's like a force uh, fuck doesn't signify anything in that moment It's a symbolic expression of like uh, frustration or anger or or aggression. So that's like his whole thing, which I love so much is uh, we're not using words. That's why it's connected to psychoanalysis or schizoanalysis. We're not using words to entertain ideas, to debate about concepts, which is like, you know, spirit stuff, like ethereal, Hegelian stuff. You know, we're not working with world spirit or whatever that stuff is we're doing things to each other because the word is on the level of thing. I love that bit from anti-Oedipus particles crash into letters and, you know, it's all just libidinal flow and code right. for them. And they it's use, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Finish. No, sorry. no. That's just what machinic means. Is right. It, it creates a force. It, it channels a flow rather than right. Bog things down in representation, you know,
0: well and and they do try to be a little polemical in a in a very understated way when they they say this phrase at least two or three times where they talk about writing flush with the real and i'm just riffing off of what dc was talking about and that that notion of writing flush with the real would obviously lacanians would be like well you can't do that you know um, <laughs> uh, that that and and i i would also say that the example that'll be that Gwatri that will come back to and he's already alluded to like ten times in these chapters, but he'll go back to over and over again in the Machine of Unconscious is is, is Van Twitter's little phrase, you know, the the little piano phrase that that will uh, almost be like this uh, evental a um, wave particle that like <clears throat> that like confronts the the narrator with this possibility of getting out of his black hole and it doesn't signify, right? It's, it's, this it's this flow of music. It's this little mm-hmm. kind of quantum of musicality. And, and so it is, it is like a little machinic proposition, but as such, it, you know, it's, it's a subjective, it's a signifying, and obviously a grammatical. Um, and in the first time the, the narrator, he's not able to, it's not really recognition, but it's like not able to process. And so he's, he's not equal to the event of this phrase that, that has like the machine keys to unlock his, uh, his, the sort of potentiality of his assemblage. And it's only in a later time that he becomes equal to it. And it has this, and again, DC's totally right. It has this force, um, mm-hmm. that, it, it's almost like a force field to a certain extent because it it completely uh rearranges the sort of centripetal and centrifugal forces of that of that you know that black hole that potential catastrophe, and it precisely sends them down a lot of flight of becoming artists. anyway we'll get to proust i know i'm i, I, I am trying to do this thing where where I'm like planting seeds man I'm planting seeds we're gonna get we're gonna do <laughs> proust uh anyway um is that was that just answer that question. Uh, yeah. If, are anybody have anything else to add? I I do actually. So um, this actually
2: made me think. This kind of I don't know if if it's a signifying maybe. Um, and this could also maybe be a refrain, or it could be both. Potentially is. So I was just thinking about like the ad lib in rap music. You know, like the brr, brr kind of mm-hmm. that okay. shit. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, like the SoundCloud. Uh, it really yeah, but it's yeah. like
2: I mean, it's most prominent in like trap music and you know if you, you listen to, like travis scott or mm-hmm. shit like yeah. that they have the like brr, brr kind yeah, of shit uh, asap maybe. rocky like it's a pretty
0: common feature i saw I kind just,
2: of a connection there
0: yeah. i would throw out the term i think would might throw this uh, when he talks about poly vocality you mm-hmm. know how yeah. when he when he talks about for example uh, you know when he talks about the the primitive territorial machines, you know that there's this there's there's more prosodic uh, elements. There's there's a polyvocality. Uh, you know, not everything's been kind of uh, superimposed onto wow. a, a on a signifying right. It's it's not all signifying chains, and so it's not just a of vocalization. There's this, uh, but he also talks about the there's more elements of gesturality. Right, the face hasn't as we discussed, hasn't yet sort of become this, this mm-hmm. own substance of expression. It's uh, the face and the head are, are, not yet fully distinguished and hasn't fully, you know, become taken on this higher uh, dimension that we see in despotic and capitalist uh, regimes of signs. And so I wonder if would polyvocality maybe do something for you conceptually there. Mm.
1: Mm. Well, I, I want to run with that because I like that connection. I think the kind of, uh, brat brat sounds yeah uh, that's like represent representative that's like uh representing a i always assume that's a gun sound or some sort of like it's partly a, yeah signify like you know we're we're dangerous but this gets me thinking of form and expression or form and yes. content and you know i'm not too much into hip hop so my my knowledge is limited to like juice world Eminem, <laughs> uh Whoever that guy was who was like really militant back in the 90s, I forget. Really long rap. Immortal Technique? Immortal Technique. I, <laughs> you know, I have no idea what you guys are talking about, but hey, it's cool. <laughs> which, but, you know, I think the brat brat is like representing a gun sound. And then I think uh, like on this content and form. It's riff, been deterritorialized uh, though
2: from that, right? right. Well, I think
1: Eminem in when he raps really fast is becoming machine gun as opposed to representing a gun. Uh, you know the brat brat is like the sound a gun makes it makes you think of the image of a gun or whatever but when you turn your voice into this machine that spits out syllables so quick that you can't quite keep track of it and you have to listen several times that's more of like a becoming something other than what you are rather than making machine gun sounds with your voice you make your voice a machine gun sound so I think there's something interesting in there about uh, that and how the voice is used to create sounds and Yes. I don't know. It it could just be totally naive no. and bland, but I think that's kind of a cool idea you had there.
2: Yeah, I I think this even to expand this out further and again using trap music as the example is what's cool too. So like not only do you have those refrain type or even some of it even is like almost like a bird call. Mm. And again, like it may be that deterritorialized gun sound that is like um, just happens to be metonymous with 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 bird songs but also mm-hmm. what is very interesting about trap is the influence of like step um I forget you know what i mean like the the marching band tradition mm. like in, uh, in the, in the south watching. right because <laughs> With trap, and if you're looking at somebody like uh, Young Thug, for example, really Young Thug, I think is probably the best example because it's not only the words that he's saying, but it's the it's the syllables, it's the there's a per, mm. the percussiveness yeah. of the syllables of the words themselves is mm. mimicking that yes. kind of step like that. You know what I mean? That kind yeah. of drum yeah. beat thing. So it's a different approach to to rapping.
1: Yeah, that yeah. is
2: almost like an a. I don't know is it a signifying in a way that like the words are not necessarily the words that are being said is not the focus yeah,
1: in the way right, that yeah. more
2: traditional rap is trying to mm-hmm. express maybe pre- perhaps a narrative or a you know what i mean like there's yeah. a simple there's a there's a metaphor in this thing it's more like about the words are sort of yeah they're, they're a bit secondary it's more about that like the cadence of the syllables,
1: it's yeah. Expe- you know, they like, content.
2: Yeah, it's like um. if you listen to and you really pay attention, you can just be like, it's that da 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 You know what I mean? Yeah. That's simple. That's a, obviously a gross simplification, but if you listen to the music, you'll get, you'll pay, you'll notice.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, no, that was that's perfect. I mean, to to me, because the way I've come to understand this is it's. It's sort of a, a contrast between identity and function. So, mm-hmm. as opposed to, um, so staying with staying with rap. <clears throat> so, as opposed to what they are saying, the explicit words they're saying, the focus is on how that semantic content syllable is being used within the overall context yes. of the verse um, and the song in general. So. So the ad-libs, uh, whereas in the past, maybe they would have been doubling exactly what the rapper was saying, the the move toward a more percussive uh, elemental sound uh, is a, an attempt to try and capture perhaps more of what is being uh, transmitted through the narrative of the story, things that can't necessarily be, so the onomatopoeia, mm. so that's sort of what that, what that captures. You're capturing elements that can't necessarily be captured within the direct narrative of the story or the language being used to express the rap in itself. So now you're getting into how does this, how does the syllable, how does this elemental function work within the overall rap? What does this sound give me within, while the verse is being delivered, that I couldn't just get by saying a word or saying more words within the rap so so going back to to the Eminem and the uh sort of machine gun well, i'll say machine gun kelly is uh actually <laughs> from, yeah i was thinking about from, that too from, from cleveland uh but the nice. <laughs> but the move from delivering a verse and in, in, in their injecting syllabic tones in there to making the entire uh, enunciation of the rap hyper fast in a way um, that it's indecipherable almost. So we're talking about the Bone Thugging Har- Thug Harmonies, yes. the Twisters, the, uh, you know, all those guys. So they've made a stylistic move to make the rap something more than it is. So we're not really focused on the identity of the rap, the explicit content that, it's, that it is. We're more focused on... How the rap moves through the air, how it hits your ear, and how um, the affect that it has on you in hearing that to make you want to keep listening to it, and you know maybe even go further and decipher it yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I've sort of come to understand this uh, a signification and a semiotics.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: that is true because. Um, I mean Bone Thugs definitely has an influence on that on trap as it exists now in the in the use of harmony in rap but also oh, yeah. I think they to some degree were there was a very percussive element to the delivery too that I think has been you know that, that was picked up and run with by later by like Lil
3: Wayne you know as well. Yeah definitely I mean even like the triplet timing and all the because a lot of the rap today is based on a triplet time,
1: mm-hmm.
3: so you know, like the the twelve eight um, bar type of thing. You know, I mean, there is definitely a, like
2: Migos or Migos are almost exclusively
3: using oh, that, yeah. that pattern. Yeah, that Marshmasty Stefan It's it's crazy. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of today's contemporary rap does owe a lot to you know a lot of the, those ninety progenitors. But at the same time, uh, there has been an evolution. In the uh, in the beat making, to where even the hi hat has added syllables into it. So now there's a stutter in the hi hat that you can hear in a lot of um, contemporary hip hop that wasn't necessarily there in the 90s. So in the 90s, it tended to be a little bit more system. You know, when you listen to Timberland's you know uh, productions, even on like the uh, Wine's first album, the Bachelor, that's where you really <laughs> start to get that that certain type of I want to say maybe new jack swing type of updated influence type of sound. You know, you can start to hear maybe the beginnings of it there, but it really takes on a whole level level um, with a lot of contemporary producers because they're adding they're adding more into the mix. They're having you know more full mixes and just a lot of layering and all these types of things. So a lot of polyvocality in the bass today. So
0: yeah, I was going to piggyback off of something that brought up about you know uh and i guess we've we've all kind of talked about a little bit you brought up this when you first started talking about this uh phenomenon you were talking about this uh different relationship of content and expression and what i was thinking about was how the phoneme uh of of words you know is usually taken as one of the you know basic elements uh the mo- usually like the the smallest one of the smallest elements right of of Mm -hmm. of of making sound and therefore making sense making signification and there's something that happens where it's deterritorialized to the point where the phoneme itself you know comes to the foreground and becomes that Mm -hmm. which you know takes on this heightened presence as the sign uh so to speak or you could even say science particles right because it is a particle of uh, of sound too, or, or yep. part of, part of a wave form of sound. So I'm just kind of thinking that there's a, there's a different uh, conjunction of content and expression yep. in, in that phenomenon of, uh, in that polyvocal phenomenon of, of when the phoneme itself becomes the star yep. rather than the, rather than the signifying unit of the word. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to like reach this back to have you ever, have you guys ever heard of a poet named Gerard Manley Hopkins?
2: Oh, yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay, so, He's got the one famous. Uh, so I brought I, I feel that like up. like I read.
0: I brought that up. It's uh, the, one of the famous. It's called The Wind Hover, or The Wind Hover. It's about mm. this bird. And I just want to read the first little stanza. You, yeah, pull it up. That's great. If you would like to. Which, right.
2: What's the title
0: again? It's called The Wind Hover. So it's one word h-o-v-e-r this one i've not read but well, this I've, is just an
2: example i've and been it, reading um romantic poetry to my roommate okay. at night okay. <laughs> hey this <laughs> is this is one to read so so
0: if you pull this up if you see how if i'll try to read this i'll try to do it justice so the wind hover by gerard manley hopkins subtitled to christ our lord and so it's it's actually a fucking sonnet but he he totally deterralizes. you'll see so it starts, I caught this morning, morning's minion, kingdom of daylight's dofan, dappled dawn drawn falcon, in his riding of the rolling level underneath him steady air, and striding high there, how he hung upon the rein of a wimpling wing in his ecstasy. Then off, off forth on swing as a skate's heels sweep smooth on a bow bend, the hurling gliding rebuff the big wind. My heart in hiding stirred for a bird, the achieve of the mastery of the thing. That's, so that's like the first two stanzas, or the first, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, and then bu- brute bu- brute, beauty and valor and act. Oh, air, pride, plume, here, buckle. And the fire that breaks from thee, then a billion times told lovely or more dangerous. Oh, my chevalier. No wonder of it. Sheer plod makes plow down silly and shine and blue bleak embers ah, oh, my dear fall. gall themselves and gash gold vermilion. Like, that's a, that's yeah, a fucking sonnet. But he takes the iambic and just really tries to take that I am at pentameter to the extreme, to the point where a lot of the times it's more than, you know, 10, ten, ten beats in a. But yeah. he, he he completely just um, yeah. he 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 slams together strokies and and is forcing a lot of these. He really makes the sound and the music of the. Of the poem,
1: it's got a rhythm to it yeah, like yeah, crazy. It's, it's it got a rhythm. Pulse. Yeah. 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 It
0: definitely. It's like cyclonic, and and then the internal rhyme scheme and and yep. all of the alliteration. There's a kind of you know proto-rapping going on totally. to a certain extent by sure. by taking that sonnet form and trying to really deterritorialize it and take it out of its its kind of plotting normal motion. And other poets have have, have done some of the stuff, but I think Hopkins like. It, Hyper accelerates
3: that, yeah, um, in his own way. Yeah, it's like a spastic metastasis.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, he's like really pushing that equilibrium to the to the limit to the brain.
1: Yeah. Right, I, I agree. Yeah, well, I guess it just goes to show, you know. Wittari is such a thinker of music and rhythm and intensity and force. And he's not a thinker of you know, Nietzsche. Nietzsche talks about the serious man and then the lighthearted man or whatever. The serious right. man gets way too hung up on like, what's the formal argument and, and right. you know, the history of every, blah, blah, blah. And then mm-hmm. Wittari is just, you know, uh, Deleuze describes him as the shimmering, the shimmering surface of an ocean that's just constantly moving and flowing and gliding. And, i think that's like good poetry is you know described in those same terms of uh it's got a flow and a movement and it makes you i got you know little tingles on my skin little goosebumps from you reading that it was just Mm -hmm. uh it's It's just electric it's electric it It is is. so that's the uh a signifying there something was triggered in me not to use that you know politically right term but i do like that term because that's how ethology works reactions are triggered but uh
0: well, I mean, like in, the, in that poem, you know, there is a, a certain a signifying almost distance from what is being said. And it's much more about how it's obviously yes. how it's said, yeah. because who, who knows who could who could class what the fuck's Hopkins talking about? You know, let's we're yeah. not, you know, to do a like a, a literary analysis, exp- a poem exposition, which is what we used to do. And we're going to talk about the meaning of Hopkins's poem. Like, fuck that. That's not, yeah. that's not the point. That would that yeah. would actually kind of cut. It would, uh, yeah, cuck. would cast. It would castrate the very. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. It would, it would castrate the beauty of that that poem and, and take it in the wrong way and it just you know reduce it to a, a series of uh, logical statements about what and, is and what what is it signifying? Who cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter, right? It's to a certain extent it doesn't.
1: And that's the successful critique against the Freudians and the Lacanians. Not necessarily Freud and Lacan, but the Freudians and Lacanians. Gotcha get way too hung up in the surface level of what the patient is saying or what the person is saying or what the text is trying to say. And they don't see uh, the symbolic communications there.
2: Which which is perfect to, I think, to draw like a distinction. So sticking with this kind of rap theme. So you have like on one side, the trap, that are using like it's about the percussive elements, the syllables, the flip side of that coin is someone like MF Doom, who is doing something entirely different. Like he's just doing this very like stream of consciousness rapping without without refrain without court well i guess there are there can be chorus but not in this not in the traditional sense that you have mm-hmm. a rap chorus and it's just like this very stream of consciousness flow and it's it's gesturing towards a, a narrative but it's not really like it like to really ties in exactly with what you said dc and in that con that focus on what's being said versus like the the mood or the more primitive element of communication that's going mm-hmm. on because i think that's what mf doom is really good at bout is like it's not necessarily like yeah if you there's a the words are very abstract but they do have sort of this direction towards a narrative or mm-hmm. like a mood or you know what i mean yeah,
1: yeah and
2: i i have one pulled up just so you can kind of get a feel for like the form that the the flow goes in right because it's this totally different thing where every almost every word is re- ending with the same syllable
3: yeah mm-hmm. yeah
2: and then then even just gets mixed up so he really i think deterritorialized rap and like stripped sit down because the beats too are it's not these very complex beats they're even i think to some degree often less well mm-hmm. i don't know if i'd say they're less in- intricate than something from trap rap but they're more like there's a loop it's more of like a loop yeah. there's a repetitive element to it there's a grittiness there's it's like stripping down all this other sort of uh, artifice that's built on top i'm just like going with this very light like, very primitive approach
3: yeah 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 hip-hop beats are, are very uh, they can be very eclectic even with the same album because sometimes you can have a short loop that is just repeated you know and to life yeah, Again, you can have a more drawn-out, more you know, sort of through-composed beat um, that that a, a story is told over, or even over that through-composed beat, you can even have a, a verse that is constantly changing. So somebody who's freestyled while not while doing as little um, repetitions as possible. So, but yeah, but it's like it sounds like we're we're focusing on rhetorical expression, but rhetoric is not exclusively just i was presenting it's also pulling in other elements um other elements that you wouldn't necessarily consider as just part of somebody speaking so you're also considering you know maybe in a, in a cool uh, sense the environment and the responses from that environment back onto the expression
2: this quote from page uh, 45 from chapter three i think even goes like i don't know if you were specifically drawing on this or not dc or if this is just like a, a happy coincidence but uh, it's thus the status of the subject does not rest upon a play of the signifier as structural psychoanalysis would have it mm-hmm. it is assembled by a set of heterogeneous components the latter of which even semiotizes what i have i don't know i'm not sure if the <laughs> rest of this quote applies but um no well, that's dom- the no, part
0: dominant realities yeah yeah but well, go uh, go on
2: The individuation of the process of enunciation and the process of semiotically discernibilizing oneself from another person are themselves inseparable from a certain mode of social organization. The split between the subject of enunciation and the subject of the statement is inseparable from the split between good and bad objects of the unconscious. In other words, the libidinal topics of the social field. The limit between the received ego, the semiologized ego, and the extracted ego is constantly manipulated by the socius. The disentanglement of the subject, the other, the law, and the plane of content always correspond to particular objects of power. Thus, content does not crystallize a universal world, but worldliness marked by contingent fields of force centralized around very precise systems of subjective resonance. Phallic redundancies, for example, do not concern, a universal symbolic function, but male dominance, authoritative institutions, and extremely particularized traits of rep- repressive faciality.
3: This sounds totally like the uh, uh, Taylor's morning with the, the lady. Uh. In part, because, you know, again, you have this subject, the single subject, and somewhere, somewhere in this chapter, I can't remember the page, but he talks about the single subject, the polyvocal subject, who is multiple states in themselves. So that's exactly what you had with a lady. She came in giving off a certain vibe, but maybe in part she didn't, she wasn't aware of how she was coming off. Right. So in a psycho- psychoanalytic sense, there's you know a certain degree of psychosis there, not necessarily in a pathological sense, but in an epistemological sense an awareness sense. Yeah. So she came in with a certain attitude, um, you know, displacing, for anxiety, on the need for coffee, and you guys receive that energy as you know, sort of very aggressive. But because of the social, the socius, the social institution that you guys, as Starbucks um, employees, exist in, you know, you can't respond just anyway. We have a very reduced set of yes. um, Oh, that's good. <laughs> responses that you can give to a customer without being rude or. Um, misrepresenting the Starbucks company. So as a response to that, you know, Taylor, you did what you did. You sort of (laughs) destabilized the... The The
2: Hadouken. Yeah,
3: Hadouken, yeah. That's right.
0: Deescalate is right. Deescalate is a good word. And
3: then you sort of move the energy along, redirect it out the door, and then in the process, you know, you guys sort of regroup as an enunciation uh, a collective group of renunciations mm-hmm. and then sort of even out that energy and just move along uh, with your day.
0: Yeah. It's, it's anything to like get, get that, get that person out the door or, or out, you know, out of the drive through, just, you know, get, get it done. And the worst thing you can do of course is to like, you know, you don't want it to be where she needs to speak to the manager. You know, you've already spent yeah. five, five minutes, you know, um, sort of getting discombobulated but yeah you know it's I think that's the thing where it's it, it is this thing where she was it was it was really a kind of cross wires of communication and I don't think she understood best how to appropriately you know give us the the minimum requirements for us to get an accurately received message there seemed to be a lot of like noise in the channel yeah Split
3: enunciation right there. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. And so uh, I finally diagnosed the problem based on just her complaint. And um, at that point, the problem was already solved. It was really just getting her to, to signify in a way that accurately reflected her desire. And she <laughs> was the one that was standing in her own way, right? She yeah. was her own self-saboteur um, because we, we're, we're only going to make what you fucking tell us to make, right? <laughs> Again, we're not mind readers. Um, and I think that that's something, you know, the fact that we aren't mind readers, you know, both gives us, a certain, obviously gives a certain autonomy, but also, you know, it gives us a certain responsibility too, because we've all been there in all kinds of different quote unquote intimate relationships, uh, whether it be erotic or familial. And a lot of times you just, you're either not hearing the other person because maybe they aren't speaking in a way that resonates with you or you're, you're failing in some sort of way to to adequately Express yourselves, and we get our. Yeah. A lot of times, we are the ones that are getting in our own way. I mean, there are always individuals who maybe just either refuse to listen, or for some reason or another, just um, you know, the message isn't received, so to speak. But the, but that's yeah. again, that's on the very signifying uh, level of language. When you know, it's it's only when it really does seem like when language breaks down in that crucial moment that that you have, uh, you kind of come out of. It, it takes you out of your 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 focus because now that now that there's a problem that isn't a, a, isn't merely a part of the sequence, it's this anomaly. It's very disruptive. And I think that that's why I was stressing to you guys. I don't really think she was, I didn't really take her as rude. It's just, it's just a fucking annoyance. You want, you want it to go smoothly. You want it. and, And if the customer can't, can't articulate their, their, what they want in a way that, you know and they just kind of fail it's really more of a failure than than a mm-hmm. inability because we'll we'll have a lot of people come through the drive through who English is not their you know first language it may not even be their second and we can usually through a sort of almost universal translatability we can get it we we can uh, we'll get the what they want uh this lady obviously spoke English fine it's just wasn't using it um to her advantage today
3: mm-hmm. Yeah. Ceasing the ceasing the motion of the machine is another way of is another way of passive destruction without overtly destroying the machine. So mm-hmm. in that way, the breakdown of language is you know in trying to keep the uh, the processes going. Um, when that breaks down, the machine stops.
0: Right. When
2: we break down, the machine
0: breaks down. <laughs> I think of the meme of the, the guy on the bike and he, he puts the, he puts the, the stick rod. In the, yeah, he's yeah, sticking his own uh, uh, wheel spokes. It was yeah. kind of like that today. It really was. But yeah. Do we, have a, do we have a next question, Coop, anymore?
2: I feel like the, this got us really into the, the meat of the checks. Awesome. Yeah. And so yeah. I think we'll just, move forward there and then we can circle you know, if we have time we can circle back around to some of sure. the miscellaneous I thought that last question really was a good segue into mm-hmm. the, the meat of the discussion.
3: It's like just like a quick thought Taylor going up of what you were last saying, um in terms of, you know, not being mind readers. To I me, mean, I think to a certain extent, if we did, if we were able to read minds, it'd probably be even even more noise in the channel because now you have to focus on yeah. blocking out all the stuff that you don't want to don't want to focus on, and I think that's probably takes takes more intense energy to do than when it's already blocked
1: out for you. Yep, there are some people who believe I forget what. Maybe there maybe they are like youngians or some weird sect of biologists, but they believe that uh, humans could originally read minds, read each other's minds through some sort of, not like, you know, mystical telepathy, but some sort of instinctual telepathy, and that that was selected against through evolutionary processes because there's way too much noise, and we had to, like, stereotype and hone down and parse down our communication so that we could actually be more isolated and not so in touch with others, actually.
2: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. I I think it's pretty much discredited as pseudoscience, but uh, speculative... It's It sounds interesting, and, uh, you know, that's cool either way.
2: There's a quote from page 46 that references deterioratorialized desire, which I thought was pretty kind of sexy-sounding topic to go into. So maybe I should just read this and see, see what you guys think. Yeah, go for it. To bring the production of sic- signification back to the concrete ground of micropolitics and matters of expression nevertheless does not assume that its access to deterritorialize systems is prohibited. It is not a question of extracting the assemblages of enunciation and the assemblages of desire on the one side of the concrete and the quote unquote natural in order to keep them safe from the abstract and the artificial. This is, first of all, because deterritorialized desire promotes capitalistic subjectification to a larger extent the ideal of a power essentially based upon semiological subjection and semiotic enslavement but also because no molecular revolution could economize the implementation of deterritorialized assemblages of enunciation.
0: yeah this is this is partly why I, I said we might need to talk about semiological subjection and uh, semiotic enslavement and there's a there's almost a useless footnote When he first uses the term, I think maybe in the introduction, uh, where he says, obviously, enslavement here is meant in a cybernetic sense. And so that's where pulling up like a basic definition. But it's really about the, you know, in in different um, information systems and computers even, you might have one drive that's quote unquote master to these other slave drives. And there's a type of feedback loop information that goes in a certain direction and the you know the autonomy of those slave machines are, is is extremely relative compared to that of the master um and but yeah uh, you know it's and so this notion of of a semiotic enslavement i really do think it's it comes back to this question of black holes on the one hand being the sort of phenomenon of semiotic collapse and a sort of powerlessness. And generally it's it's this sort of centralizing, recentralizing node of, of, of certain subjective redundancies that and consciential components are involved in this and along with semiological, et cetera. So that, you know, and he'll he'll use this to analyze proofs, where he'll say, you know, Swan gets in this love and his desire gets kind of, in this centrifugal, centripetal push and pull, that it, it it just collapses, and there is a kind of, if not, there's a kind of a catatonic or a kind of becoming catatonic of uh, of the potentiality of any becoming whatsoever for for Swan, and and that's why he fails to become an artist. The the narrator. Two falls into this but he gets out of it by way of the, the little phrase as I said earlier and so it's this the question is it's like you know on the one side of of language of semiology you know the black hole represents a certain deadlock but at the same time it can it's always sending out these diagrammatic science particles that that will inflect and and affect other uh assemblages and they're therefore the it's like it this is paradox right that that it's Either which, whichever regime you look at, it's powerless either on the most semiological side, where you have semiological subjection that you just have kind of signifiers ad infinitum chaining together under a you know transcendent signified, or you have you know or you have this other side of cybernetic enslavement wherein there's no machinic freedom, right? That like there's but that too could eventually lead to you know, creativity on a analogical or signifying level. So for Guattari, there's always this, this you know, it's kind of like with the molar molecular, neither is like better or worse than the other. They both have dangers, maybe the molecular even more so, right? Because of mm-hmm. a certain insidiousness. So yeah, that's all I would say there. I I, I want to open it up to you guys. To me, it sort
3: of sounds a little bit, I'm not sure if this may be off or not, but in a political sense, when conservatism and liberalism or they, when they move from identity to a more sort of what we were discussing earlier to a, a function. So the machine nucleus that he references, like in the next paragraph, the or even no to go back to the hard drive. So you have like the master hard drive and then the slave hard drives. So when when the, the slave hard drives sort of start getting a little bit too out of whack and too crazy and not really. Behaving in a, in a unified sense of connection with the network, the, the master sort of comes in as a more conservative element to reunify the system and, you know, make it give it the direction that it needs to operate the way it was intended. Um, but at the same time, there may be times where that's not what you want. You need the slave drives to operate in a more heterogeneous manner. So right. they, functionally, they move toward a more liberal trajectory, where they're allowed more freedom to do whatever it is that they need to do in order to perform whatever whatever functions need to happen. So that was just like a random thought that I had earlier today that relates, mm-hmm. relates back to this. Um, when I was reading about, just, just about this things thing, I was reading how he uh, characterized the molar and the molecular. I think he used a specific word, an ambiguous word that allowed for a certain type of ambiguity. So molar is not necessarily size dependent, and, and, and along with the molecular, but the word that he used, which is not a, a, a crazy word, uh, I can't find it right now, but it was it allowed. It allowed for each to be characterized in a way that 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 made each one still be able to have a sense of primacy over the other without being overly deterministic. Um, but if I find that word. I will.
1: I will. I will say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he does say that. Yeah, it's not molar isn't big and molecular isn't small. It's right. always mixed, and they're always like diagramming each other and shifting around and etc yeah
2: it's the ultimate i think contingency is where they're focusing on but um if i think this next quote actually too like really ties in here and maybe draws this idea out a bit further because it's referencing politics a bit but also the sort of machinic elements but um, in addition to molecular so i'm going to read this whichever possible is manifested by the consistency of molecular fields this type of nucleus holds in reserve a potential possible this nucleus never dissolves into the universe of fields and components this non-manifested possible is contained by the singular traits of matters of expression and stored in the e- abstract machine's general plane of consistency example given a politics of signifying overcoding it is not Consequential that it is implemented by a particular matter of expression, thus the fact that certain writing machines or certain computer machines are used as instruments of social control can radically change the modalities of the latter. What will later be defined as transformational schizoanalysis is primarily located in these two extreme levels of strong molecular and abstract consistency. and This, this actually might be a good segue into some of the diagrammatics in Chapter seven when we look at is it do we have a graph? Is it? We do have one for redundancies. Do we have one that's referencing consistencies? I can't remember off the top.
0: I don't think in well. Is
3: that the one with fifty one? I mean, that's still in chapter three on the next page. But.
0: Yeah, I guess that would that would count. Yeah, the uh, that that one right there, right? This one, the molar
2: molecular abstract, the redundancy of resonance, the machinic redundancies of interaction. On the molar side, we have signifying fields. In line with redundancy of resonance and on, to the molecular it's semantic fields on the abstract side it's cap- capitalist abstractions and then on the machinic redundancies or or of interaction What the fuck? machinic redundancies or of interaction no that's that's what's that
0: I guess it should be like machinic redundancies or redundancies of interaction of redundancies, I didn't, I didn't yeah. translate the I didn't translate the diagram, so don't blame gotcha. me for that one. <laughs> <laughs> i'll um, take i'll take i'll take some credit for some mistranslations in this book but yeah. not the diagrams <laughs>
2: <laughs> so then for machinic redundancies we have under molar stratified fields under molecular components of passage and on the abstract side constellation of sine particles with abstract machines in parentheses
3: yeah
0: i guess abstract machines if you were to you know loosely define it it, it would be a Constellations of si- this should be signs particles, but we'll give them a break. It's fine. So yeah, <laughs> because it's and that's important, right? Because sign particles implies that they are that they are particles that are signs. And I think for Guattari, it's more important that it's a yoked conjunction. That it's um, that they any. I think in I think in Antiepithus, he talked about signs signs points, which might be slightly different, but it would be akin. But signs particles, it's a it's kind of like wave-particle, right? It's a complementarity. It's there's an undecidability, and you can look at one or the other, but you can't see them both at the same time, So yeah. like that, right? Like so, the double
2: slit kind of.
0: Right. So there is, yeah, exactly. The the, the Young's slit, uh, two slit experiment. Yes. Um, so I, I see it that way. So that that's that's the only little quibble I would have about saying sign particles. You know, it's they're both at the same they're both at the same time, but. You know, not in the same regime, right? Um, and you can't, so you can't focus on one or the other, or you have to focus on one or the other. But they're still complementary.
1: The uh, well, diagrams well, are fun to look at, even if you don't <laughs> quite know how to uh, promote them.
2: Do we think maybe this might be a good suture for us? Is to tie in, kind of step back to that idea of, I guess, that critique of of structural psychoanalysis with this. The Lacan diagram I think is a really interesting one where we have, it's uh, let's see, this is figure eight, abstract machinism of the involution of the semiological triangle. Uh, and so we have a triangle with the, the tip being labeled at, like outside of the triangle, the castrated binary phallus is our tipping point of our pyramid or triangle. On the
0: left, what is it, a ray? <laughs> or the leg of the triangle perhaps? Well, you could call it just a side I mean, that's an isosceles yeah. triangle, right? So you just call it a side. So you've got impotent signification on the left,
2: forbidden representation on the right side. At the bottom, on the left-hand corner, the one-dimensional signifier. In the middle, the impossible real. And then on the far right, we have the partial object. Then now within the triangle kind of included in its in its tip point, there is the process of the enunciations individuation. And then in the middle of the triangle, we have a... Spiraling uh, pattern that is labeled as subjective black holes, which I think, yeah, this is this is Lacan, right? Collectively, yeah.
0: he's he's kind of par- We we talked about it in our B side where we we mentioned yeah. it's, it's it's kind of a parody, um, but you know it, the text above this. Is like kind of brutal, and I'm gonna throw it to DC because I think uh, you know he's the only one that really hasn't thrown in his two cents about this diagram. But you know, <laughs> at the very this is on two thirteen. I don't know if you have the text or want to look at this paragraph. I can pull it up if it helps. It's, uh, you said two thirteen. Yeah, two thirteen, and it's at the very top. It's right above, and it describes this diagram. And I think uh, I'll, I'll read it. So this figure, figure eight, the. A kind of mocking or or diagramming whatever parody the, the lacanian terminology he says um the abstract machinism of semiotic involution leading to the appearance of a subjective black hole effect at the heart of the semiological triangle it allows us to locate several concepts which structuralist and psychoanalysis proposed in its attempt to ward off the subjective black hole which it cultivates in addition to great quote unquote profit and then he gives some examples of this, right? So politics of transference, silence, neutralization of all content, interpretative overcoding of every semiotic asperity, etc. And I think that's that's really like if he boiled down the critique of structuralist psychoanalysis and really seemingly the dominant modes of psychoanalysis, um, that would be a sort of condemnation. What do you think, DC? You
1: know, with with these diagrams that the kind of thinker I am, I'm a big picture guy and I always try to like embed myself in a thinker and get like, what's the gist and how can you apply it? Half the time with these diagrams, I can't make heads or tails of them. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, that's part of what he's trying to do. They're very idiosyncratic and I think they make you think and they make you try to figure stuff out and then you come up with your own ideas. But I recognize some language, you know, I know (laughs) a big move d and g make that's important especially g is the partial object thing so for like classical psychoanalysis there's this idea that you know there are objects real objects in 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 the world that we all kind of share but through our growth and development we can't take in a full object when we're a little baby we can only take in part of it so basically we mentalize what we come in contact with the most the breast usually you know Because it feeds us, or the hand or the face, some part of the mother or father that we symbolically latch onto. You know, like the the penis or the phallus is a part object, and then the breast is a part object. And we carry these object relations with us like a schema, like an unconscious internal schema, and we slot everything in our experience into them. So I go to the store, and a woman, I think, gives me a strange glance – and I get paranoid without knowing it, I'm acting on this bad object model, this bad part object model of, like, the bad breast that, you know, when I was a baby I didn't get the nutrition that I needed and I was overstimulated in a moment, so I developed this bad breast internal partial object. Most of our lives we respond to these partial objects as if they're reality, but they're not. They're just these – we're responding to our own internal – memory laden uh models of reality. But D and G come along and say, well there are no part objects or full objects. Everything is just part objects. It's just washes of intensity and flow. So I don't know, I think I wonder why that's on the bottom right. Oh I, yeah. I
0: think I think it's just one of the, the vertices, one of the vertices or, or or uh the summits, whatever you wanna call it, the you know, uh the points of the triangle. I yeah, I, I suppose it uh you know, what, what, I, what I do think, though, is what he's doing, you know, with the three sides being negative, being these, uh, it's impotent signification, forbidden yeah. representation, impossible real, there is this kind of, that's how the subjective black hole kind of gets, you know, it gets caught within this, the, when, when language is taken as universal, when it's kind of, ta- when, it, when it's promoted to this ontological foundation, that's mm-hmm. when the subjective black hole has no outlet. And yes, it's contained and warded off, but almost like, you know, at the end of, was it Superman or Superman two with the, you know, the, the triangle with the three bad guys floating, yeah. you know, yeah. throughout his with The Phantom kind of like, Zone. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's kind of like that, right? Where that's the, uh, the subjects, you know, all the different dimensions of the subjects power, not just semiologically, but semiotically, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, you're, you're, the, well, he would say the the process of subjectification kind of turns around itself and becomes and accelerates in a way that's not productive. And uh, this that's the role of like the consciential components, right? That they they uh, they kind of exacerbate this 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 hyper individuated mode of subjectification that, for for Guattari, he thinks is perfectly suited and desired by um, capitalistic abstraction. So I think that's another maybe dig at Lacan with this, and I think of it kind of as a tug-and-cheek parody of, of and, and obviously it doesn't necessarily do justice to the, you know, whatever, the intricacy of Lacanian analysis, to be fair. And he knows that, but I do think that it, that, that taken in this brute way and uh, there is something savage about it where he's he is saying there's a complicity in this politics of, uh, of analysis that precedes in this negative path, I, you know, with what he said, with silence, with, mm-hmm. um, with with transference as the main tool, with, you know, this crushing, I love the way he calls it this crushing or this elimination of semiotic asperities. And that, is, that term asperity here is functioning, I think for Guattari as a positive thing. And I almost think, liken it to um, the germ of a crystal, right? It's this singularity that's deposited in a metastable solution. And then obviously it's able to grow and flourish and I think, I think of that as, you know, that's the, the semiotic asperity would be the potential of, uh, you know, a, a sort of diagrammatic uh, dust of science particles to, to sort of, he, he uses the term irrigate concrete assemblages. And so, and to therefore open up and uh, open up uh, potentials of, 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 uh, we could say degrees of freedom for the subject, but but when it, when we're caught in the semi, the semiological triangle with, you know, with the three walls of, of the negative that render our uh, signifying capacity or render us or, or just reduce us to our signifying capacity, which is self-contained, um, then yeah, that's that's where we get this kind of you know enjoy your symptom thing, and it's and it and it and it you know suits us as subjects, individuated subjects for. Uh, for capitalist extraction. And, and that's, I think, where Guattari, again, at root in his revolutionary militant vein, um, I think that we can't you know forget that, that there's, there's a part of Guattari that's, that's always gonna be coming back to uh, discussing the, the kind of dead ends that capitalism brings for, um, not just for subjects and the malisands, but for analysis itself and its complicity.
1: I guess, uh, I think it's a good point pulled me out of my uh detailed orientation on the partial object but i guess the sides of the triangle are blockages right Is kind of what you're saying and uh the different ways different arms of hierarchical organization block lines of flight to use some of that jargon mm-hmm. so yeah
0: that's exactly what it's about though is there's no potential for lines of flight right the that's why the the black hole, that's, that's why it's so interesting, that swirling that's that around itself. There's no, um, and, and, and you could liken this to a diagram. I don't know if you'll pull it up, uh, Coop. I don't think we have to, but in the faciality chapter, the crazy, um, no, actually it might be regimes of science. I'm trying to remember, but there is that, uh, the diagram where it's the scapegoat and the face of the, you know, the face of the despot, turns away and there's the face of the priest and there's this mutual turning away and yada yada and, and lines of flight are cut off and they're made negative and uh, and they turn back against themselves or, or they turn in a kind of vanishing point. That's the pictorial analogy that Guatari will draw on um, and it's and he will I think in this sense this diagram is too is, is about a certain type of abstraction and for Guattari abstraction is, is not the same as abstract machines. There's something in the process of abstraction for him that, you know, and this is probably, we could even say it in like a Marxist language where there is this, you know, I mean, DC said it earlier where you do have this sort of externalization and internalization of, of alienation. Right. And that's, you, you know, you have a kind of a, a foreign and domestic politics of negotiating that, so to speak.
1: Yeah, Guattari is just uh, attempting to do really hardcore materialism. You know, the the term feigned numina is associated with Nick Land, and it's uh, his collected texts. But I think somewhere in here, Guattari talks about the brute reality of matter or something like that. And yeah, that's just, oh, yeah. Nominal intensity, just things in themselves, flows of things in themselves. That's page two hundred eight,
0: by the way. If you want to pull that up, Coop, that's two hundred eight. Yeah, the diagram. Because that's that's part of what I was. I, I'm glad you said it, DC, because at the very bottom of two eight, you'll see he talks about he'll, he go. talks about the. I think it's at the bottom. If you he talks about the the four paralogisms, right? He says signifying semiologies rest on four basic paralogisms relative to the reality of brute matter, reality of the living soul, the reality of the signifying verb and the reality of the individuated subject. And obviously he's meaning those as like hypostatized terms. He's, and he'll say that, you know, you know, I think a few pages later, he'll talk about when there is this kind of semiotic powerlessness, when you, when we, when we have these, when the black hole effect takes ascendancy, so to speak, and produces the potential for catastrophe for semiotic collapse, that's when these four four realities are taken as a ontological base, uh, or at least propelled to the rank of an ontological base, and 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 then it it it's double pincer. It's just, well, you could say it's the double pincer movement, but it's squared, right? It's so it's it's kind of, um, and that's why I think what Guattari is wanting to fight against those kind of transcendent, universal, crude. Categories um, and yeah, and it corresponds with the with figure seven, right? It's another triangle. So there's a there's like it's almost like a it's like a Timaeus you know type obsession. The the triangles are the elementary you know geometrical shapes for the Timaeus. So um, what else do we have? Do, do you have anything else you wanted to, to to hit upon, Cooper
2: yeah, I'm I'm curious about this. I think the maybe what's most uh, there's two two bits of the diagram that i'm curious about one is this notion of the impossible real which is labeled on like the bottom leg of the of the triangle which is very much like that's the that's the lacanian notion of the real it's escape signification it's beyond yeah the impossible real like it's it's impossible yeah sort of
1: yeah and you don't hear
2: the dng really talk much about the real like Obviously, that's a tremendous focus of Lacan's work, but...
0: They play with I, it in Anti-Oedipus War. Yeah, um, More so? Gotcha. They do. They, I mean, I, I brought up earlier Riffin' Off DC about writing *Flush with the Real, and uh, they talk about, I think in Anti-Oedipus, or it's in *Machine Conscious, or maybe even A Thousand Pleasures, one of those texts where they say something about something's not being impossible, not like the real is impossible, but like the symbolic is. Again, yeah. a way that, the, that, that wouldn't necessarily... It accord with Lacanian discourse. Alfonso, uh, you uh, you go ahead though. I I know you wanted to, to say something. No, I mean the whole
3: thing, the whole diagram. You know, as you guys were saying earlier, you know, reads to me as if you wanted if you wanted a, if somebody was if a kid was in class, you know, writing a joke about what what uh what the professor was saying. It's like this is the this is the quick diagram. So <laughs> he's basically sort of summed up in in just small terms. Uh, a number of the major points of Lacanian psychoanalysis, made into a diagram, and then said, this is how you restrict interpretation or uh, possibilities of, uh, of uh, expression. So if you want, and because Lacanian psychoanalysis often focus, focuses a lot on lack, so when you read the title, "Castrated binary phallus. Right. So the phallus is not not the physical part of the body, but is it's, it's a, a, a signification of authority or power or uh, extreme locus of signification. So that could be could be the man, could be the woman, it could be the child, or all these things. Um, but the way the way Lacan is going to orient, you know, the balance is always on lack. What is it that I don't have, and what is it that the other doesn't yes. have? that they need from me or that I need from them. And so what that uh, creates um, is this sort of black hole where either you are lost in the lack, you get lost in this trying to figure out what it is that I don't have. And everything that you do as a part of that is sort of just out there. You never really hone in on what it is that you desire. You're, you're just sort of floating around Yeah, the nodal point, which which is a, a diagram that Lacan uses, a circle hovering around the point. Or, you know, it can also be within this complex of concepts. You have a certain openness of interpretation, so sort of like the Edible Triangle within the, the criticism and anti-edivism about the, the Edible concept is that within Oedipus, you can read into whatever it is that you want. So in a parallel way, he's saying that within these concepts of Lacanian psychoanalysis, you can read into a lot of things that restrict the subject in a in a sort of negative way and don't lead to the types of openness and connections that um, Deleuze and Guattari are trying to formulate in their writings. Yeah. So in mm-hmm. this way, this is sort of like, like that purity, the, the mocking of, of, what is, of what Lacan is sort of trying to do and trying to emphasize with
2: his work. I think, exemplify this too, so going back to, like I said, I had just watched Black Swan a couple of Friday night, and uh, the mother in Black Swan is extremely doting, and like you almost get the sense that maybe there's like this weird Munchausen-type or yeah. like there's yeah. there's a masochism, Um, as well. And like the schizophrenic or really maybe even bipolar situation in the character that's portrayed by by Natalie Portman. But I think just to go into how that, that notion of the binary phallus and it being able to be fulfilled by both like the child or the the man or the woman is is relevant there. But I'm curious what you all would think about this because I'm doing another series on on the unique and its property by Max Stirner. And I've really been intrigued by this sort of um, similarity or maybe gesture towards kind of the same, there being sort of this, for Stirner, it's the unique and it's this sort of of unnameable thing. Almost like the real, it kind of defies signification. And there's always that gap Effectively like this is this is imperceptibility too, maybe in, in D and G terms. And that subjective black hole, maybe you know, this could be me reading this incorrectly, but that reminds me of that sort of constitutive element of the lack for Lacan that also yeah. pla like Stirner also has like that that imperceptibility, that unnameable thing, that that unnamable unique that you are as an individual. I don't know. It's just
1: No, I think there's something to that. Like is I mean, this
2: gesture is this subjective black hole? is this more so like in the context of the black holes that are discussed earlier in machinic unconscious, or is this a different iteration of like you know what I mean
1: makes me it, think of the uh, assemblage of enunciation because I've heard, I don't, I haven't read Sterner. A lot of people told me I should, but I've heard when he talks about the ego, that's a mistranslation and it's really this word unique, yes right? or Derizinga. Yeah. The ego in its own is like not really a good, uh, whatever. So he's not yeah. really talking about ego. He's talking about right. untranslatable, unduplicatable individual experience even if we're in this like world of simulations. I know right. you like Baudrillard and Wittari actually uses, or at least you translated as simulation several times, Taylor, yeah. in this. Yep, that, if yeah. I like. Um, but like all those fancy concepts aside, I think it's just always good to remember that like we will never experience each other's experiences the way you or I experienced it. And that says something and has to inform our conceptual thought on some level. And I think that's the assemblage of enunciation is all these disparate different components and forces come together and what we call our self or our ego or whatever. Yeah. It's just this outcome produced as an accident by all these impersonal numinal outside forces right. that pull together, which is, you know, like not unlike Whitehead, if we want to get uh, like classically philosophical. Whitehead, when he writes process and reality and tries to basically Reinterpret Western philosophy with a new language and new ontology. He says the subject isn't this thing That walks out there in the field of objects and grasps intuitions and takes in info and reproduces it blah 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 The subject is produced after the fact all these events occur and these events create through power dynamics This thing we call the subject. So he calls it the superject. That's basically just the assemblage of enunciation And that's not too far off from like Marx meets Nietzsche, this idea that forces, you know, like Nietzsche's Deleuze book, talks all about how it's power dynamics and forces that construct like a feedback arc. And then we think we're somebody, I don't know. So I guess I think assemblage of enunciation goes hand in hand with uh, this this Sterner type stuff, I think.
0: Interesting. Cooper, if you turn to if you if you turn to two hundred and ten, I think the best definition for black holes that's like consistent um, because he really the to black hole hit. effect. Uh, he, yes, he goes so into that, that at the bottom. Um, so yeah, so with um, so you know he starts with components of uh, semitization, and then and then they correspond with components of subjectification, which in turn are corresponding with components of conscientialization and he'll, he'll kind of that's when that diagram that has the different the other type of redundancies right with the anxiety redundancies and obsessive and hysterical yeah. uh, but here he says uh, so when you when you have this when you when you move on to the level of consciential components you have you know you have one that kind of invests this outside which would be the different elements of language, the basic ones, morphemes, et cetera. Um, which is a kind of you know semiological, that's you know, that's kind of tinkering on that level. Um, but then on the inside you have this, this this black hole. And for him, there's black hole for him is always it always has the threat of semiotic collapse because it is this powerlessness of language, right? It, and so the semiological powerlessness to signify and interpret, et cetera um but on the other side the the potential it's this hyper concentrator of it's what he calls a machinic superpower and it so it can so it, so it and the one hand it's kind of sucking all language in and not letting it back out but on the other hand it's kind of like releasing these science particles at yes. at, a, at a certain <laughs> at a certain speed like uh neutrinos and stuff like that, yeah. that they might they might knock off atoms and that's why he I mean, that's why he calls it quantum deterritorialization because literally he is talking, to, he, when he says science particles, he is thinking about in a quantic vein. So we also have to think, as I said earlier, a wave particle complementarity. Um, but but that's that's the two black holes in Proust, at least the two in the in the re, in the recherche um, which we'll get to in the Proust stuff. Swan and the narrator, you know, they both sort of fall into this, this place where it is, this, it is this black hole where, where sort of language is, you know, every signifier is pointing to another signifier in this chain, and there's, there's like, it's seemingly there's, there's no way out. It's more like a prison of language than, than the, the potential creativity of becoming artists, which transcends language, or at least for Guattari, is involved in an escape or an exit from language to a certain extent. And I think, uh, you know, DC brought it up earlier with psychoanalysis and transversality, you know, Guattari working with Um, with a patient and giving that minimum linguistic consistency there's a surplus of value of there's an effect there's a machinic effect that allows for for a kind of you know for for again more degrees of freedom is is, again i'm kind of falling back on that term he doesn't really define but it, it seems to um seems to really work too there
2: that's funny. I was curious if you like if it was too on the nose to actually like bring up this diagram of like an actual black hole because I was thinking about the j- the jets that shoot out of the poles of the black hole, right? Yeah, I but think those, I mean, those particles right. those particles are getting ejected. So that's like a very one to one sort of metaphor for mm-hmm. Guattari.
0: Yeah, I think that that's that's good to visualize it like that. Um, I can imagine Guattari diagram and that shit, right? The the semiological <laughs> powerlessness and then the the superpower and just the science part of is now at all kinds of angles and, uh, you know, and they're, and they're, and then, and then it's, it's all a question. And I think this is like what will, will is trying to do in non-standard philosophy. It's, it's this question of this, what if we could, you know, create this, uh, experiment of thought that is, that sort of, uh, models the, the collider of conceptual particles and what's like, you know, at these hyper these super speeds and what's what are the effects? Um, I think Guattari is kind of kind of trying to say something similar to that, and so so yeah, that's uh, yeah. again that's that's science particles.
2: Alfonso, you had some good stuff. You were working on the on I think at this figure three, the abstract machinism of machinic redundancies. Uh, yeah. You had a really yeah. I think you had a you were posting an interesting interpretation of this.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess the way I was trying to. Depict redundancies was elements that had the capacity to receive the same type of sig- signal or, or message or or whatever the case may be. So in this case, whether the assemblage is an individual or a group of individuals, they all have the capacity to receive a message from another um, assemblage. So in this case, the the, the messaging entity would would be. Trump. So I, it was a it was a political uh, political uh, one example. So Trump is disseminating uh, this message to so M was Republicans, N was the alt right, and O was the uh, uh the So all of these groups, um, insofar as they um, agree with the messages you know, Trump uh, is disseminating, or elements of what he is. He's doing, um, they all have the same capacity to receive this message, but at the same time, they are they will still interpret this in their own way. Uh, and they will take and modify that message to formulate whatever it is that they need to get from it and then do their own thing. So that was the that was the way, the the basic way that I sort of tried to get around uh, the way Guatari was displaying this concept. So I think Taylor would probably be uh uh the <laughs> one to say how accurate this this actually is in in real life um but that was the that was the suture that I needed to help me get around um some of the language
0: yeah it's 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 really interesting i think that um what, you know the, what I like about this is you know if uh if we try to you know um abstract from this i could see like an antianipus the way they talk about how the despot it's only with the despotic regime that you get writing or that that's really where it's it's uh because it, it already implies a, a sort of uh the the advent of the state at least the very least implies a kind of interaction between languages right and you, you have this development of a super imposition of different layers and so writing becomes possible anyway i won't go through all of that but i'd say you you know, if Trump were the, the despot, the messaging the entity, and you, and you had MNO in and, and, and a continuing series, so to speak, um, yeah, you can imagine the, it's really, in my mind, um, less about identities and, and sort of transformations. So I would, you know, basically say, like, if, and it doesn't have to be the despot itself, right, it's just the figure of the despot, or it's just the, even the, the means by which, uh, the despot's words like Hammurabi's laws written on tablets in the in the square something like that right you have this that's the messaging entity and to a certain extent you have these different transformations you have a kind of you can you can imagine a whole gamut from the very direct legal juridical transformations of the you know of, of that legal machine and executive machine but you also have you all you always already have a kind of secondary deification of the of the despot and the and the words from which you know even in law so you have a kind of you have mystical transformations you have and then of course uh, going down the line you might have subjective transformations that would be subject to shame and guilt etc right so it's, it's and then I think within that uh, within um, those transformations you would have these Identities that would all participate in in this interpretive model of the of receiving the message, and okay. and so I think that for Watery here in this series, there's something much more. Um, we're, we're you're giving you're you're providing flesh for the model, and I'm 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 not saying it's wrong. I'm I guess I'm trying to say that the model can uh, we can we can play with the um, with the different with naming these, with giving concrete examples like you're doing. And and watch, watch on page, this is on page 202 where he gives this very, and again, it's a kind of metaphor where well, he puts in the scare quotes, but he talks about this, the internal and external relations of these different components. And the internal is like a machinic quote unquote biology, whereas the external is a machinic ethology. And, um, and that's the, interesting thing right is that each of these components would have their own you know sort of internal milieu and then this you know this relation to um an associated milieu uh, or here you know like, like truck i think that would be he's the power source right and he's kind of right. charging and sending out the signals as he was saying and the messages are received M M O, but and uh, it, sort of it's the same message, but then the but then the the, the analogical or interpretive uh, aspect of each reception, you know, is going to be is going to be different, right? It's it's and this is I mean, you can just scroll Trump's replies in his Twitter feed and just be like, oh, you know, because this gets taken to the to the extreme when you get the social media machine involved and and. Um, you know, you not only have all kinds of drifters on on um, you know uh, on, in each of these that are latching onto him to boost their signal and maybe potentially steal a little bit of that messenger entity capacity from 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 him, but then you also have bots who you know are almost these like a subjective little pseudo asubjective, subjective you know um, little mimicking machines or simulating machines because there is a sense of the they. Yeah, you know, simulate a, either a pissed off liberal or a, you know, or, or a fawning, um, America first, you know, proponent. Yeah. So it's, the whole thing is, uh, is, uh, or, sorry, your, your whole example is, is very, is very cool. I like it.
2: That was a pretty good one. You had some more that you worked on though, uh, Alfonso that I thought were interesting. Your takes on these different um, diagrams I thought would be good, like at least departure points for discussion.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I mean, again, that was sort of just a, uh, an extension of, of the one that we just went through. Yeah. So
2: the abstract machinism and semiotic redundancies.
3: Yeah. Page two oh four. So again, you still have the same the same um, assemblages of Republicans all right, neoligs, but the the component of passage, I guess, in this in this in this example would be. I, mean, I used a stupid term, dialogical discrimination, because I didn't want to specify a, a specific type, which is why I put in quotes you know, an example of like racism or gotcha. you know, whatever the case may be. So the dialogical, meaning um, uh, the, the message being passed back and forth between the messaging entity, um, the assemblage, but then dialogical as opposed to dialectical, where the dialogical was more open-endedness and not closed, not closed off exclusively within itself. So, um, and then the, the discrimination part, just the basic differentiation between you know, between itself and uh, and another redundant message. So, um, yeah. Again, this is just this me trying to get. Get my head around the language and trying to right. uh, give concrete expression to them, to what he may be uh, trying to express.
2: I'm wondering in this figure, again, so figure four from page two hundred four, are these triangles? Are these still the? Is are these referencing the that triangle that we were just
0: discussing? That's really like the crude, <laughs> Lacanian critique or i don't i don't think so i think you know? it's, it's i know i think it's back to the the whole Timaeus thing where it's triangles are the the simplest little two-dimensional geometrical forms um and so i don't think they they have any gotcha. uh, okay. yeah i think it's just it's i think maybe guatari was just in that mood of, of using <laughs> the triangles because then because his diagrams are you know don't necessarily always do this so maybe he had done some of these in like a, the same periods, so the triangle was just that was his, you know, um, that 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 became a a, com- a convenience, you know. Yeah, what well, kind of makes sense because of the Lacanian the
2: the registers of real, imaginary, symbolic, perhaps. Yeah. So maybe that's a good way to maybe that's the genesis of it.
3: No, definitely, I mean, because those three registers, I mean, are basically the essence of uh, Lacanian subjectivity, because you know the. The imaginary and symbolic basically yes, sort of constitute the world of the subject, and then the real is what is sort of outside of that. But uh, that so, you've already constituted, uh, I want to say in a good way, like the interior and the exterior, both as complementaries um, to count as the whole of the subject, but still within those three registers, you know, you can again, the subjective black hole there's a lot of interpretation that can be drawn out of the, that triangle. So yeah, and then we have this crazy example. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have what Trump is, the individual in subject. So that was just the point that I started with to make sense of this whole thing. So if we, so the main points of the triangle, we have the soul at the top, signifier at the bottom left and matter at the uh, bottom right. So I try to make those as empirical as possible. But after going, after starting with Trump as the individu- individuated subject, um, I moved down to the signifier first, because that seemed to, um, I guess, make the most sense to me uh, in interpreting China. So the signifier, what is he? So I put patriot down, moving over to matter. Um, or he, in relation to matter, you could say, America is a country. Um, and then the soul. Soul was, was a little bit ambiguous, because I didn't know what to make of it. And then when I read the description um, of the paragraph where he describes some of these components, he didn't really explain it. So that was one of the ones I sort of left last. But in between the signifier and matter, where he has a nominalist designation. So um nominal nominalism is
0: names for things. I mean names and things. It's yeah. It's it, those are the that's the linguistic duality, you gotta name a thing. And somehow the reference comes in, but yeah, it, it's the purist is just the name is the thing, right? Or or says the very thing. Um yeah.
2: like nominalism so in this in the context of like metaphysics, like the
0: Yeah. And yeah, you pulled up a little, a good one. So, so yeah, right. So nominalist de- designation is, I mean, I, I really do think Trump's a great example of just the name, right. You just slap it on a, a hotel or something, right. It's, it's like, it is the thing, right. It, it becomes an extension. Yeah.
3: So I'm, I designated that as American hero. So in this sense, you can think of him if he is to be uh, the president, the, 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 the signifier of war in America is supposed to be as yes, an individual. You know, he is the American hero in between the signifier and matter. So, patriot America in between these two, you have the American hero who symbolizes who is the constitution of both of the, both of these things. Um, so then, in between the individual individual and subject and the soul, um, you have the sentiment sentiment of signification. Um, and I guess the way I interpreted this was maybe affects of what Trump does. So his policies, you know, these sort of things, what he says, in the speeches, and all that sort of stuff. So I put down presidential policy. Um, now in terms of the space of representation, so we have this angle of significance um, between the individual, individual and the subject. Which branches off into two vectors which become the space of representation. So the space of representation, I put the president. So literally he is the president, that is the space that he inhabits as an individ, individual subject. And then with originally I wasn't going to name the vectors of the angle of significance, but there is a paragraph in his description where he talks about signification. And nominalism. So with that little bit of text that he put, I decided to split that into pure signification and ideal nominalism. So both of these concepts together constitute what the president, what the president, the role of the president represents, who is Trump. So he moves from the subject um, Donald J. Trump into the presidency through being uh, a representation of pure signification and a nominalist element and so and somehow I ended up uh, using the soul for the essence of what uh, patriotism and America as the other two points so between patriotism and America what do you have as the soul and you essentially have a Patriarchal type of governance. So with patriarchy as a soul, you have basically all of the elements filled out and all of these represent, all of these signify back to Trump the individual subject, uh, in a way that creates this triangle and uh course of relationships. So this is obviously more more complicated than the than all of our other previous diagrams. So. <laughs> So Taylor's input is more yeah, than right.
0: welcome. <laughs> I, I would just say I would just say very quickly that, that it's it is interesting that you know again we could easily obviously spend time uh, dismantling those, but I think that what's what's important. I think that for a certain type of one could say for like for his supporters, yeah, I would definitely imagine something very similar to to this type of. Of, of thing, and you know, if you if you modify it slightly, if I played off your diagram and we replaced the individual, individual subject from you know Trump to Trump supporter, um, mm-hmm. some of these elements might shift a little bit, but a, a lot of the core theme would would kind of uh, stick.
3: Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this chapter seven is so is so dense, and it's like page after page. He's giving yeah. concentrations <laughs> of. Concentrations of, of, of concepts, of, yeah. You know, to try and it's almost like you can't even just do it in a sense. Of something you have to. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: just as, <laughs> just I know I know that. Uh, well, we got about fifteen minutes left. There was one last little quote, or just a little. It's a little. Um, it's a. It's like a bullet point at the end of uh, chapter si- or chapter seven, and I just wanted to look at it real quickly and maybe allow us, when I read it, I had to like mark it up and I kind of, you know, um, it's just one of those things that Walker is almost flirting with very uh, philosophical language, both with blues and Hegel in the way it starts and ends. So this is, uh, let's see, it's page 223 and it's, um, so I just wanted to read the one about the evental possible, right? So this is like kind of the underlying let's just say conditions of metastability for an assemblage or the machinery conscious, et cetera. So he says, um, he's talking about these different supports of these, uh, uh of these different, uh, things. So he says, um, the eventual possible for its support, it has singularity points irreducible to any coordinates, and he says that and says, but okay, but uh, eventual possibles, so they lack any, they're, they're irreducible to any coordinates. But on the, on the other hand, they attach themselves to quote unquote coordinating assemblages. An essential affinity exists between the possible of the most abstract machines and the possible of the most singular points, due to the fact that they are both they are both located upon the tangent of an absolute impossible a sort of seat of radical creationism. The singular is consequently deployed as law and the general is singular, singularized as concrete manifestation. I thought that was kind of an interesting way of, of this. I think I, I like that notion of the seat of radical um, creationism. And he says either earlier or later in the book, he'll equate in a quasi spinozas way, radical create uh, radical atheism with a kind of radical creationism. Uh, obviously, in a different sense than monotheistic creation. So, a kind of atheistic creationism that you know it's. It reminds me of kind of we talked about it in one episode where he says like, you know, there's this there's n dimensions where everything starts thinking on the at the same time, right? It's, <laughs> um, mm. so yeah, I just I wanted to know what you guys maybe thought about thought about him talk about the evental possible because he hasn't really talked he doesn't really talk about events in the way that say deleuze does in um, logic of sense he, he now the the term event comes back and gets played with some in a thousand plateaus and so i wonder if maybe that's why it creeps in here but generally guattari doesn't necessarily uh, rely on that that notion so i thought it was it was kind of singular here absolutely
3: impossible. So, yeah, I mean like you're saying, I don't often come across those two words in relation to D&G because you know they're always focused on the creation of concepts to so what are you know, radical creationism. Um, does he mean more so like a creationism that is you know so extreme or so non-dependent on, undependent on a localized seed of of elements or you know, concentrated elements that it just, it's just like a, could this be relating back to actually maybe like a body without organs type of thing?
0: I think that or what that? I, what I see in this radical creationism is uh, in A Thousand Plateaus when they talk about the abstract machine linking unformed matters and non-formal functions, right? It's like this this like hyper-deterritorialized or hyper-abstract conjunction of like a machinic phylum and a, uh, what's the word, a plane, the plane of consistency, right? Something like that. Right. So it's at the, at the most abstract and uh, and I think this is why he ends with this thought about the, it's where, you know, the singular deployed is law and the, the. Generally the singular yeah. is this
3: concrete manifestation.
0: Right. So it's, it's like, I guess that's the, that's the thing, right? If, if the abstract machine is linking formless matters and unformed Uh, non-formal functions that's i think that's the radicality of science particles in almost like in in a superfusion or super saturated solution right it's it's Mm -hmm. it's that whatever falls out or as dc might say uh, with whitehead the superject of you know these uh this metastable situation i think that that that's that's what the abstract machines at least here um with Unform or formless matters and non-formal uh, functions. This is that's that's kind of the the place. Blanchardie, as a mad scientist, again wants to take us right. So um,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I think the term event. I know it's used by Badu and I haven't read much of him, and I don't really know. You know, I'm not the person to turn to for the philosophical expertise on event, but it's always strikes me as materialist language, and it's attempting at grasping at impersonal forces and this idea that things happen and then after the fact subjectivities form around those things as opposed to you know the cartesian mistake or the early philosophical mistake that they we're this unified subject and we go out and we create we make things happen and we experience events so right it, i get the feeling he's using that language maybe not so much as an ontological commitment but to like Capture this feeling that uh, all these complex processes occur, and then after the fact, they create this monster that is the subject, and then we th- we think we're in charge, but we're really not. Yeah, and that's, I mean that's the machinic unconscious,
0: right? I, and I and I do think that you know uh, one of the reasons why Deleuze and Whitehead uh, a lot of times some of the most interesting explorations of Deleuzean uh, in Deluzian scholarship is like this conjunction uh, from Kant through Whitehead and Deleuze and like that, that resonance. So the critical philosophy sort of being sort of rearranged in Deleuze's vein. But, but in many ways, the Whitehead's notion of event gets kind of lined up with Deleuze's and, and Deleuze himself, especially in his later writings turns to Whitehead more and more and and finds in process metaphysics, another means of sort of going back to his own roots in his early. And and like when, when, you know the event first kind of came on the scene for him and his like conceptual articulation so yeah that's 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 kind of why i thought it was it was kind of cool and yeah. and you know that whole notion of evental possible i just i would like reduce that to what just what they mean by um you know uh okay cha- what guatari means by chaosmosis right which is both a play on joyce's chaosmos you know chaos and cosmos but also chaos and osmosis mm-hmm. right the, the the osmosis of chaos and cosmos right in this sort of um sort of radical metastable inter- interaction of uh, order and disorder and and that you know go into i think Watry has a footnote on like fucking renee tom thermodynamics mm-hmm. and, ne- ne- and neg entropy and stuff like that in this book so so he he is thinking at least kind of on a tangent with some of the some of the cutting edge like science of the day because even black holes in 79 they were still that was still like that was big news right i yeah. was still fucking like i think the yeah.
2: diagrams of consist of the redundancies and the other similar one um shoot where's it at? uh the the semi the seven semiological redundancies that one these redundancies seven consensual reterritorializations of subjectification corresponding to the seven redundancies of the semiological triangle. I think those would kind of be interesting. I, this really is one we definitely need UDC because this is dealing with more like, yeah, we've got the paranoid, schizophrenic, the phobic, the yeah. obsessional.
1: That stuff I can unpack. I like yeah. that
0: stuff. Yeah. Well, I, and, and he even says that he, he's kind of, what, what is it he says? Gosh, the way he describes it is hilarious. This is... Um, and I'll let DC. I'll let you definitely. talk. I just wanted to read this real quickly. Where he says, um, "It is." He says, "I have borrowed uh, to indicate each of the bastions of resonance constituted, which is right the different redundancies that Ku pointed out." He says, "I have borrowed a series of labels from psychiatry." Yeah. And, not, and then <laughs> this 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 next sentence in there is just makes me laugh. The the quasi pretentiousness of the sentence and uh, okay so <laughs> it is not a question of regilding the blazonry of traditional nosographic entities but only of evoking several clinical syndromes to which these deterritorializing territorializing investments can lead when they are pushed to the limit so like taking these labels from psychiatry and sort of taking them to what the limit they could do i really do think that's that's a good way of summing up some of some of the diagrams here but uh yeah. what, do you, what do you think about the actual terminology and, and some of the stuff he does
1: well, i just without getting too much into it i think Qatari is a thinker of the hyper real uh, we talked about the real a lot and that you no know, there is no such thing as real or not real for them everything is real on the same level it's just variations of intensity so you know it makes me think people get on my case a lot because uh, i'm a to be a psychoanalyst and i'm a therapist so i guess that just means i'm a cop in a sense but uh, they say you know oh mental mental health doesn't exist and i say yeah it really doesn't there is no such thing as these mental illnesses but at the same time they exist insofar as they happen and if they even if they are these kind of inauthentic kind of heuristic labels we we slap on to stuff i mean that's still real you know this So, like, Quattari's making a smart move here, like, he's saying, like, I'm not trying to reify these from, like, a kind of naturalist model of thinking that there's, like, this reality, and then there's these concepts we have that diagnose this reality, and we get a clear snapshot of what's really going on. He's saying, like, well, these are things, these are resonances that have formed and been selected for, and uh, whether they're real or not real, they're still there you know, and might as well use them and see where we can use them to go. That was my bit earlier about uh, language. That's how Guattari works. Uh, That's how he worked with that schizophrenic, you know. Language is pretty much just a big fiction, but we got to use that fiction to organize uh, enough so that we can break through that fiction and get to something new. So he's like, let's use use what already happened, what what material that we already have to go somewhere new. You know, which I think is clever. And I think that's how you got to do it if you're going to do th- theory that's interfacing with reality. So there, there are social realities that he's working with here. But, uh, and, and there are labels that really do map onto people's experiences or conflicts. There are people that are more paranoid than others, you know, stuff like that. So I guess psychiatric diagnosti- diagnostics are real, but uh, they're not natural. I guess, is the distinction I make. And I think Guattari's making.
0: So. I think it's in chapter six, DC, just to maybe sum up uh, a little bit what you said, where Guattari kind of says concepts must be folded onto realities, not the other way around. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, that's that seems like a, you know, you might say that seems like either a pretty straightforward materialist or even Marxist thing but it's 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 all it's it's funny because it's like i think that this is where i think vaughtry and laurel would have a little dialogue because i see laurel would say something he wouldn't use that language but he would say something similar where it's this it's this notion that philosophy has this kind of grandiose pretension where it it thinks um by it it thinks by like thinking the real it through language that language is a part of the like the co-determination or co-constitution of reality. And so there's this, there's this um, sort of presuppos- this principle of sufficient philosophy, as he might say. There's this naivete, this, this spontaneity that philosophy thinks that language is, uh, is, is always already kind of determining the real. And that's, that's where Guattari and Marwa would both, I uh, think, be in accord with a, with a new type of analysis that does away with the interpretive gridding that uh, became fashionable um, and it's mere like linguistic base. And yet at the same time, not doing away with some of the things, some of the good things that that type of analysis already um, led to, especially with like Freudianism and unionism, et cetera, at least at the beginning, which was a, a kind of a, an assault on biologism and, and, and sort of cultural insularity and, uh, and 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 you know a kind of culturalism, so to speak.
3: Mm-hmm. Their yeah, labels are powerful, It are very powerful. I'm um, sitting so here looking across at, at, at a Thomas Sass book, you know, wondering what, you know, maybe how much watch we would engage with them in terms of how, what labels mean in terms of um, diagnosis and their, their material, materialism. Um, because for me, I don't necessarily have a personal beef with psychiatry. Um, itself, because I think I think what they're doing um, in terms of labeling uh, is trying to make sense of things at the biogenetic level. What you know, the biogenetic level is not the only level of experience that people um, existed. But there's still the uh, the inner subjective and existential component, and then there's you know the ontological component. The universal blueprints that allow for these manifestations in the first place. So, if we you know think about all of the instances that can happen between these three levels, and what what a what a diagnostic label means is it's a coordinate attempting to make sense of a phenomenon at a particular point in time. Now, this phenomenon may be such that it, Is consistent has redundancies across other people, so you see this same particular type of phenomenon in other people because of certain other types of consistencies that happen at the biogenetic level. Now, in the way that we socially um, in our careers specify in our uh, in what we do, you know, there's a tendency for us to you know, simplify and reduce things to the domain that we're in. But it's important for us to keep in mind that these are not, this is not all there is, that we're always having dialogues with other other domains and other spheres. And that even within all of these coordinated domains, the entire picture is still not there. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to materialism of people's states of mind, um, it's real and the label, is an attempt at a coordination of making sense of these across people in real space and time. But it's not that the label is real in itself. It's, it's helping the person who is engaging the subject to um, figure out the best way to engage them to help create a dialogue that makes sense. So um, I think what bloggeries work in, in this domain, what it attempts to do is create these, open these doors that may lead to these possibilities of communication to help make the kind of sense that, that, that may work. So mm-hmm. it's not, less about um, trying to diagnose and figure out exactly what this is and more about Opening the doors to perception. Uh, if, if you want to use it, helps me, me makes sense. So mm-hmm. that's just my consensus
0: This is great, guys. I know um, DC. We don't want to keep you too much longer. And um, do you have any any closing thoughts you would you would like to start us start us on?
1: I guess I'll just end on like what Alfonso just said. It's- That's why Guattari uh, developed this thing in his mental health clinic called The Grid, where he would have, uh, yeah, you know about it, where he would have everyone switch jobs every week. Right. So the doctors would cook, and then the cooks would maybe not do the full prescribing of the medicine, but (laughs) they would work as a team where people would switch places and kind of work dynamically with each other so that people wouldn't get siloed. And that's what a part object is. People can get siloed in these part objects, little contempt, uh, compartmentalized parts of a machine, so that each person knew the other person's experience, and that was kind of his model for, for for communism and things like that. Uh, was you know these material experiences of work impact yeah. our conceptualizations of ourselves and others, and the more experiences we gather, and the more lines of flight we generate by breaking down these walls, uh, the the better. We are just working with other people and, and being people in, in a group setting. So his whole thing starts off in understanding groups and things like that. So I think that's right in there with what you're talking about with, like, diagnostics and, you know, it's, it's such a big part of Quetari is translating codes from different registers and how to things change and what gets lost and what gets added and surplus and all that, so – I don't know, always bigger conversation to be had about Qatari or Guatari, But uh, I appreciate you guys having me on today. And I look forward to talking more with you guys in the future. And I will listen back to this episode and see what I missed out on. <laughs> Before right.
2: you go, remind us where we can find your blog.
1: Oh, yeah. Check me out on Twitter, DC Barker Tick. My at thing is 4Q248. My blog is linked there. My Patreon is linked there. I'm just... Two books I'm working on on Patreon that are short and just kind of fun, and then my blog is suedoanalysis.blogspot because I misspelled pseudoanalysis, just kind of riffing on the fact that I'm sued when it comes to philosophy, and go. I didn't notice it. And then the domain for pseudoanalysis is taken, so I just oh. left it and suedo it is. All
3: right, <laughs> <laughs>
1: bye everyone. Thanks, everybody. All right, it's good seeing you,
3: man.
0: Look, I just wanted to thank you for having me back on. Alfonso, I'm so glad that you're with us. It, it, it's, it's, because, yes. because, you know, when we first started and it was the three of us, maybe the most basic, you know, geometric shape, the triangle, it can, it, it, it can also be the most elementary. So just adding that fourth dimension, it, mm-hmm. it really, it really makes it so that there's, there's never like a, um, a moment where any of us has to like force uh, yeah. a topic or force a, a, a point of discussion uh, it just—it always seems like somebody's going to jump in and and throw something out there, and we just—we uh, uh, really, I think it, it's nice. We like—we uh, play off each other, and and it's—it's. It's, um, I'm just, I'm just glad that that our assemblage is, is going to keep going until um, circumstances or desires, you know, say otherwise. And I'm excited about reading even more Guatry after this. The fact that we talked about that—that's just. Yeah, let's keep the super Quatorio brothers together uh, yeah, as long as we can.
2: I think I'm gonna do another like all every book we do, I'll do like a slight variation on sure. the like the play. You know what I mean? Just to that'd just keep great. it like easy. I, like I'll have a new I'll have a new graphic so that it's like easy to organize and like.
3: Different. No, that'd be cool. Totally, <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 man. Well, thank you guys, man. It's a pleasure, you know, uh, being in dialogue with you guys and interlocuting. So. It's, a, it's 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 good to you know try and exercise this information beyond right. getting, getting, make it tangible so so Most that's definitely that's always a good thing so Most thank definitely. you guys really
0: well hey, plug y- your blogger or- yeah, yeah go
2: ahead you, yeah before you sign off
3: gotcha. okay um, you can find me at theory and analysis, all spelled out dot wordpress.com um but yeah, all, all the stuff is there. Uh, if you want my Twitter, you can find me extension, uh, theory analysis. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm around. And stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll just say, um, gosh, well, one of the things I was going to say was you, with the, with the three ecologies image, you could have a, you know, a guatario with, with like the, the, the flower or something in the mushroom, you know, uh, um, I don't know you can play off of that that's just like throw that out there but the, I guess um, we'll see the other thing yeah you know um, you guys can reach me at Tadkins613 on Twitter um, you know you can look up Theory Talk uh, the, we got a whole backlog and um, I had another thought but it, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of got it's late in the day uh, it's time to crack open <laughs> a beer or, or 10 and uh, <laughs> Uh, but I'll, I'll be on and, and I'm sure we can, uh, we can do what we always do, which is just kind of keep our, our little group chat going and, and keep the, keep the soup bubbling and, and, uh, the cauldron bubbling, whatever metaphor I'm mixing. It <laughs> yeah. It's obviously time for me to shut the hell up. Uh, I love you guys. I'm, I'm, I had a lot of fun today, uh, as always. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll chat some more online, uh, whenever we have a, have a shit post to share or something like that
2: speaking of i gotta compliment you on your your grasp of memeing and, and shit posting is like you can t- i can see the development of
0: it it's i you know it's fun um, to see
2: you stretch your like and pick up on the kind of
0: approach to it you know i, I try not to take it seriously and oh you know, yeah there, i mean there, there, there are some memes that that like like you know you guys know the meme where it's like the the libertarian on the left and authoritarian on the right or whatever the fuck and then it's like it's like you know 30 things and you're like god you know it, <laughs> and that's a, that's a totally different kind of meme than the kind i'm going for right i'm still on this on the simple level of um you know like the like the the totalizable non-totalizable intensive multiplicities like that that, that was little, fantastic that that, that little frag because that was from <laughs> that was in chapter three right um that little that little phrase you just used it just tosses that out there and it, and when I when I read it, because I fucking translated it, but you know, it's there's some things that we forget and some things that like strike us anew. And just that phrase, I was like, Oh god damn, you know, there was something very crisp about it. Um, I'm sure they say it in a thousand plateaus and maybe in an anti Oedipus otherwise, but it just just having him just like throw that out there like it was no nothing. Like it was just a throwaway phrase, be like, damn, just you know, polish that bitch up and like make it make it shiny and make it nice. Like it <laughs> it, it it rings and um and I guess then the joke was me making, making fun of myself. Like I'm uh, like, I'm, I'm the suit. I'm, I'm the poser. I'm right, posing. Yeah. I'm posing as I'm actually totalizable. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm out of multiplicity. I'm yes. a, I'm a one. Yeah. So uh, that in my head was like, Oh, that's a, that's a funny thing. Yes. But you know, it's not even like a rational thought. It's just like, Oh, haha. Oh, like, yeah. Like this. Exactly. Yeah. Like exactly, this type, and, um, and, and so that's much, the flow. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, the flow. So much of it is, is, but it's also, you know, I I put it out there and then the next day I was like, well, I should just do a shitty, and it is shitty, uh, you could use paint, but I was like, I'll just do a shitty cut out of, yeah, Mm -hmm. watch watch Rotary's face, you know, just to, (laughs) just so because people might see that and may think, oh, that's, that's Deleuze. I would assume that people that like read that, like, oh, he's just doing Deleuze. No, like, no, actually it's, it's, it's our boy, you know what I mean? And, and it was and I was, I was, it's because I was reading intensely for, you know, this discussion that it hit me in that way. I was like, damn, that's a fucking, I mean, I love it because it, it reminds me of, again, like um, in anti Oedipus, the, when he goes into Marx and the non-anthropomorphic notion of sex, how are you phrase it? And the in, in sexes, right in, as in the mathematical, you know, just, just for the listener, I know you guys know what I'm talking about, but in, Dash sexes right, like the sort of, mm. um, you know that that proliferation, which is why. And this is a good way to end, I promise. <laughs> on, the, on the back of the on the back of the hard copy, which I know that um, Alfonso, you have on you right now. Yeah, it's it's the it's the it's the paragraph after the italics at the top. Where wait, no, is it? I'm trying to look. Okay, it's the end of that first paragraph. It not italicized, where uh, they say, combining theoretical research from fields is diverse, cybernetics, semiotics, ethnology, and ethology. ethologies. no, he doesn't. That's actually wrong. Guattari reintroduces into psychoanalysis a polemical dimension, at once transhuman, transsexual, and transcosmic, that brings out the social and political, the machinic potential of the unconscious. I just randomly saw that yesterday. And, <laughs> um, and just the... Um, the transhuman, transsexual, and transcosmic, and you could say transsemiotic. You could add that to it too. I thought that that was like a nice, a kind of pretty nice little blurb there, and and that that's that's again that I said that because it, it again resonated with the not the non-totalizable, intangible multiplicities, which he's referring to. Like that's that's what, at least at the most abstract or the most machinic, or even just the individuated subject. That's that's what they are. And so they, there is this potential where for, I think with that definition of is saying like these more transcendent categories of sex, gender, race, whatever it is, those, those are on a kind of molar like stratified level and they have no kind of like with the, what you brought up with Sterner. And um, I was going to say when we were talking about, you were talking about the unique and it's a, and it's pro, what was it? The unique and property. Unique and it's property. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that uh, you were describing something that Laura would call, um, you know, he would talk about generic man or the generic human as uh, ra- radically eminent lived experiences. Right. Uh, you know, the early, mm-hmm. so much sterner. So, basic. so yeah, they, yeah they, that's they, interesting. So uh, at another date, you and I will have to, uh, you know, and we'll get everybody together. If we want to, we'll have to talk about Laura and Um for now. I'll sign yeah. off. I know that um, again, I'll be chatting with you guys soon. Alfonso, you're awesome. I'm so glad to have you on. And Coop, I'm always glad that you're hosting. You're uh, you we and I appreciate the editorial work you, you you do as well and just getting things set up and and uh, making sure that we all can get together and sort of do our do our thing. Always a pleasure yeah. to
2: have have y'all both yep. and D C as well. I do want you mentioned though, like you mentioned about you don't take memes seriously and it's like I, I don't either, but I do. I, no, I get it. You know what I mean? Or, or posting too. It's like, I don't take it seriously. But, like, in terms of craftsmen, in terms yeah. of, like, affect, or not not yeah, affect, yeah. or, like, whatever, it's the end end result, the teleological aspect is, right. is completely yeah. irrelevant. It's about the, the Yeah, fun. the effect.
3: Yeah, Marshall yeah. McClellan will talk about all about the effect.
0: You know? Right. Right. I, I would say, Bart, you might talk about, um, what is it, uh, that... Like I'm a I'm a craftsman, it's like I wanna make a good
2: product, mm-hmm. but that's that's well, where he, it stops. I'm not he, worried about yeah. anything beyond the own like the self contained yeah. aspect of creating some, like
0: putting my skill towards this. Like there's something about that that's satisfaction. I think you would call it something like the diagrammatic effects of machinic propositions, right? Where it's <laughs> All right, yes. That that, that, that that's <laughs> exactly that's not, but, that, but that's the level of that's the level of, you know, one could say like the shit meeting the post it's the it's the formless shit and the and the non-formal post uh, right and the anyway uh, uh we could good. go on forever guys but um <laughs> look, awesome. I'll, look I'll, I'll be chatting with you guys later uh, especially when, once i get a couple beers in me and uh, <laughs> and uh i hope we can do this soon i hope next week would be great It'll i'm be
2: recording sunday so if okay. this is a short enough chapter and i've already read for that too so i really just have to look over notes so i think we'll, that's we'll good we could, it's doable we, for could do,
0: we could do Saturday if you don't want yeah. to double up. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd probably, you know, I'd want to separate them out just because it... Let's shoot for Saturday. We'll let DC know. I think that's okay for him. Alfonso, do you think that would work?
3: Saturday would work except between the times of um, 11 and 1.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah that's we'll, fine. We'll start after that. I mean, yeah. in terms of, we'll probably start 2, 3 Eastern, see what DC says. Yeah, that's because what I'm thinking too. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, I will, I will talk to you later. And again, it's been a lot of fun. It's been just stimulating. And, um, and I hope you guys have a, have, a, have a good day.
3: Yeah, hell yeah. Same thing. All right, baby. you too, guys. Totally. And then, guys. Uh,
0: any,
2: anybody in the listening, if you want to check us out on, on uh, Patreon, again, it's www.patreon.com forward slash M-U-H-H. And if you're enjoying the, the episodes, throw, consider throwing us a dollar a month. I will also, again, I'll be starting streaming some uh, SNES mini classic stuff on my Twitch channel at twitch.tv forward slash Machinic Unconscious HH. And let's see, you can find us on Twitter at, uh, what is it, Unconscious HH, and then on Instagram as well at Unconscious HH. But this is going to be the Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper Cherry signing off.
0: How can I change the world state of things in view of violence without object anymore? This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality.
1: Let's not have a misunderstanding here.
0: What I did is the following. Please. With nothing left but recycled, whitewashed, lobotomized people,
3: as in the blockwork orange,